I want to say good morning and God bless each of you. We welcome all of you to Grace Point. If you would take about 120 seconds, go and greet somebody, shake their hand, fist bump them, hug them, whatever they're comfortable doing. And if there's someone that you absolutely, positively, unequivocally do not know, introduce yourself to them. God bless you all this morning. It's good to see everyone in the house of the Lord. If you exceed that 120 seconds, it will be added to my preaching time. If you would remain standing for just a moment as we read the scripture and pray, uh, we're so happy to have um, all of you uh, with us. And before we begin, uh, first of all, I'm happy to have um, both of my daughters with me this morning, Hannah and Kayla. Y'all give it up for them. Um, Hannah graduated from Valdosta High School on the 27th of May. And I'm sure she's still taking any and all donations. And her father will be receiving 20%. Um, also, um, I have a dear friend of mine, um, Elder Kenneth Wells and his wife Lynn and their daughter. They are with us from McCray, Georgia. So happy to have them. And um, two, two of my elders are here um, Elder LaWayne Park and his wife, Barbara, from Douglas, Georgia. Um, Elder Craig Johnson and his wife, Angela, and their son, Tyree, from Jacksonville, Florida. And I have a fiery evangelist, evangelist Gwendolyn Scott. Y'all hear her, don't you? From Lake Park, Georgia. And to all of you that are... Uh, visiting here for the first time, God bless you, and we thank you so much for your presence and you gracing us with your presence. And I want to read one passage of scripture found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9, and today's message is entitled, Establish Your Heart with Grace. Establish Your Heart with Grace. Hebrews chapter 13 I almost forgot to put my glasses on. I need them now. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Word of God reads, it says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have, not been, which have not profited them who have been occupied therein. And Father, we thank you for this privilege to preach and teach your word. And as the word of the Lord goes forth today, I pray that, that, that your Holy Spirit would navigate and negotiate change and let that change become reflective in our day-to-day -day behavior patterns. Let your word heal us where we hurt the most. Let your word strengthen us where we are the weakest. Let your word lift us where we are, where we are the most despondent. Minister to every need in this house. Manifest your blessing on this house today for your honor and glory. 
In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say it. You may be seated. God bless you. And I also want to um, thank God for the leaders of this house, Apostle Dale and Mama Jill. Y'all give them some love this morning. We appreciate them so much for their love and support. Establish your heart with grace. We, we are inclined to believe that uh, Paul the Apostle uh, wrote um, this epistle because when you read the end of Hebrews 13, um, Timothy is addressed and much of the writing in the book of Hebrews that deals with um, the old covenant and how, how Paul develops the contrast between the old and the new. This is really um, his, his style of writing. But he wrote this epistle to born-again Jews in Rome who were experiencing persecution by Nero, the Roman emperor. And if you've done any reading about Nero, the Roman emperor, he was a sadistic, narcissistic, egomaniac of a monarch. And he burned the city of Rome with fire to a crisp for his own entertainment. And he accused many of those believers there for this act. And he convicted them and sent them to prison for arson. Nero conducted many mass arrests and public tortures where many times he would burn his victims alive in public. They were being unfairly treated and some believers that were following Christ at the time because of, of you know, Nero and his... Um, methods of destroying the people of God, many of those believers were fearful about continuing to identify themselves with Christ because they were afraid of the persecution. And many of them, out of comfort and convenience, they found themselves returning to practicing Judaism because they felt like that that would be the safest measure in order for them to avoid persecution. And even though our fallout is not to that degree, centuries later, um, here in the Western Hemisphere of Americanized church, but it is certain that we are, if we're not already, we're going to have to deal with some fallout that may even be intense by religious systems that despise this grace awakening that's taking place in the lives of millions who are no longer exercising primitive and expired spiritual practices. There are many that are freeing themselves from religious control. Because those who oppose this message and this manifestation of the grace of God cannot control it. You know, their denomination, their doctrine, their attacks, their criticisms, their social media posts, their desire for men and women to be damned and doomed and destroyed, that evil heart of religion and wanting to see people punished and wanting to see God get folk who have been forgiven of sin that they themselves never committed. They wanted to commit it, but they just never got a chance to. And this is a reflection of their judgmental, condemnatory, discriminatory, and prejudicial attitudes. Jesus, who we know as the Christ, he is the personification, he is the epitome, he is the embodiment, he is the zenith, he is the benchmark of grace. And how many know changed lives cannot become unchanged lives? <laughs> you know, once you become a butterfly of grace, 
you cannot return as a caterpillar in the cocoon of law. For some of y'all, let it hit you on tomorrow. And, and, and now that you have experienced the freedom that comes with grace, why would you want to subjugate yourself back to the bondage and the incarceration that comes with the law? You know, we have been taught here and understand that grace is not a doctrine, but it's a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is grace. And grace is Jesus. And grace is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It says, for we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If you would allow me to take my theological license, I want to say it like this. For we are saved by Jesus through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the Jesus of God. And then Titus 2 and 11 says, for the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men. So if we fuse those two passages together, we can conclude that grace is a gift and a person. Salvation is a gift and a person. So the means by which salvation is brought to us is a gift and a person. Let me give you an example. Just like when you receive a gift from someone that comes in a gift box, you have to open up the gift box to receive the gift that's inside the gift box. So grace is the gift box and salvation is the gift. Jesus is the gift box, Jesus is the gift, and Jesus is the gift giver. And he does that because of his goodness. The word goodness is Christos in Greek. It means to be mild, pleasant, and kind as opposed to being harsh, hard, sharp, and bitter. In other words, we know that God is good, but we don't always know why he's good. I'm going to tell you why he's good. He's good because he's God. And he does not intend you any harm but good because he loves you. It's all good because it's all God. See, goodness is not what he does, but goodness is who he is. God exudes his own goodness. Now, in this text today in Hebrews 13 and 9, I want to focus on the first four words. It says, be not carried about. Those of us who are evolving through our spiritual growth should be centered by the grace of God. And our spirits should be so rooted and grounded in this grace until we leave no opportunity, no possibility, or capacity for spiritual instability. We've been hearing about this message of grace for 12 years. We ought to have some spiritual stability. We shouldn't have any spiritual instability where we find ourselves vacillating or moving back and forth from law to grace and from grace to law. It shouldn't be where we live by the law a few days out of the week and when we know we're coming to Grace Point on Sunday, we start getting our practice in by living by grace. I can't hear nobody. God doesn't want you to be a poser or a faker or a perpetrator or a pretender or a misrepresentation of the grace of God, either you're all grace or you're all law. Yes, 
He said, be not carried about. In other words, do not compromise your grace standing and your state of grace. When he says, be not carried about, that word carried is paraphio in Greek, and it means in doubt and hesitation to be led away to someone else's opinion. To be driven away from your center point. To transport hither and thither. See, the theme of this church is grace is the point. But I want to tell you today, don't move away from your grace point. Paul said, be not carried about. See, because once you're carried about, you're going to find yourself being carried away. So that means that your only affiliation with a law-based believer is to help lead them into a grace-based relationship with Jesus, who is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. They should not be influencing you, but you should be influencing them because you don't want your affiliation to become your limitation. You don't want people pulling you down with the law, but you need to be pulling people up with his grace. There should be more grace conversions and less law reversions. In other words, there should be more believers going forward in grace than going backwards with the law. You know, law-based religion, fear-mongering, anger-based preaching and teaching should have no appeal to your spirit. Because most believers who said that God is angry, it only indicates that they are angry. Most preachers who claim to be describing God, they are only describing themselves. Let me explain something. God doesn't need an attorney or a publicist to do damage control for his alleged anger management issues. <laughs> they are not describing God as he is, but they are describing God as they are. So the verse says, be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. Now the word diverse is pokilos in Greek, and it means various sorts or various in character. You know, it's all kinds of erroneous teaching circulating the planet. And it all starts in church. <laughs> but Paul warned us, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he said, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. When we're talking about evil men, we're talking about those who are forever causing pain and trouble throughout the body of Christ. Where they are practitioners of wickedness. He said evil men and seducers. Seducers refer to imposters or wizards. And wizards, they are going around muttering their spells. Where they're wailing and mouthing off false doctrine. He said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That word wax means to lengthen out by hammering as a smith forges his metals. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, the more error they receive, the more error they're going to teach. But then he goes on in verse 14. He said, but you continue the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. 
So don't forget what you've been taught and don't forget the teacher who taught you. That word continue means not to become one who is different in error, but you remain in the truth. That word continue means to go on with unbroken and uninterrupted focus, blocking out the unnecessary of the law in order to concentrate on the necessary, which is grace. Said evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. See, deception is a mistaken conviction based on misinformation. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, how there have been men and women I don't know about in other countries, but I know there have been men and women in the United States that have had wrongful convictions. You know, they've been accused of, of murder or rape, and many of them have gone to prison for 20, 30, and 40 years for a crime that they did not commit. You know, that they were framed and spent that time in prison falsely. See, many times in the church, we have wrongful convictions. Concerning our faith and walk with the Lord over the years and they were self-imposed. They were church-imposed. We had convictions that the Holy Spirit never pressed us about. <laughs> the Holy Spirit said that he would lead you. He never said he would control you. So if the Holy Spirit is not going to control me, why am I going to allow your false doctrine to control me? And we have allowed the church to inflict this harm upon us and they use the scriptures to do it. Just like you can rightly divide the word of truth, you can wrongly divide the word of truth. To rightly divide means to teach the truth directly and correctly. To cut straight. To proceed on a straight path. To hold a straight course. We have to dissect the text. The preacher has to be like a surgeon. He has to open the scripture up. Reveal the revelation. And sew it back up until God returns him back into surgery again. See the Lord had me to come, come do surgery today. See I washed up before I came. Glory to God. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. I'm almost done, believe it or not. Ephesians 4 and 14 says that we henceforth be no more children. From now on, we should not be immature to the things of the Spirit, behaving as if we are untaught and unskilled. Then he goes on to say, toss to and fro. To be agitated like the waves mentally. Up and down. Law and grace. To surge and fluctuate. It's Cludon in Greek speaks about the billows. Metaphorically, it speaks of an unsettled condition of mind influenced and agitated by one false teaching after another. And characterized by that immaturity that lacks the, current, the firm conviction begotten by the truth. He said we'd be no more children tossed to and fro. Here it is. And carried about in doubt, hesitation, be led away to someone else's opinion. To be driven away from your center point, to transport hither and thither, being removed from your grace point. He said, by every wind. You know, there are some things you see on Facebook, you need to use your finger and keep scrolling. Because if you stop, you're going to have a challenge on your hands. And you don't want to find yourself being tossed to and fro. 
by every wind of doctrine, variable teaching, a violent agitation of imparting erroneous doctrine. And then it says, by the slate of men. I really want to know what that meant in the Greek. And when I looked up in the Greek, Sleight of men is the same as sleight of hand when you're playing dice. Kybea in Greek. Sleight of hand, quick fingers, trick fingers, performing tricks and magic. Preachers do it every Sunday. The deception of men. Because dice players will cheat and defraud those who are playing. And it's bad when false preachers and teachers treat you like a crap game and they roll the dice on you and they use the Bible to do it. See, you may wonder why is he preaching something like this? I want to keep you in a defensive posture when it comes down to the grace of God. We've got to understand as a church and as a ministry and as an individual believer and believers, we are dealing with the calm before the storm. People are going to want to come after us because of what we preach and because of what we teach and because of what we believe and because of the miracles that are happening. You've got to earnestly contend for your faith. You've got to remain in your grace point. You've got to stay rooted and grounded in your center point and don't let people move you away from what you believe. When you have people gambling with your heart and mind. And I'm here to tell y'all today, when you come to church and hear a word like this, you don't have no business hearing nobody else if their message doesn't coincide with what you hear in this house. Men and women gambling with your spiritual life and your eternal destiny. Using the Bible like a crap shoot. And the reason why they use the Bible like a crap shoot is because they're full of crap. That's why they're giving you crap. Then he said, cunning craftiness. Trickery as a result of scheming. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2. Paul said that we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. That we're not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully to ensnare, corrupt, adulterate, to mingle the truths of the word of God with false doctrine and notions to corrupt by way of hucksterizing. You ever heard of people called hucksters? Their job is to deceive. Listen to what it says. Where they lie in wait to deceive. Plotting, planning, anticipating that you're going to be the one that's going to be led astray from the right way. Rome's hither and thither. The era which shows itself in action, a, role mo a wrong mode of thinking. So he said, but be not cared about with divers and strange doctrines. Have you ever heard some strange stuff in church? He's like, what in the world? <laughs> that word strange is xenos in Greek for what we get the English word that we've been hearing for about the last six years called xenophobia. Dislike of or prejudice against people from other countries. Doctrines that divide and not unite. Doctrines that teach that one group is superior at the expense of another group being inferior. Doctrines that 
teach that you ought to be incarcerated spiritually rather than be liberated spiritually. It places a stranglehold on your life that holds you down and holds you back because many of these leaders are insecure and they feel like the only way they can keep you in their church is by scaring you. I remember our family dog. Her name is Cupcake. And um, when I would take Cupcake out to use the restroom, which was my daughter's responsibility at the time, Tan told me she was going to get that dog. I didn't want to get that dog. You know why I didn't want to get that dog? I ended up loving that dog. But I didn't want the dog because I knew that I was going to have to do the work that came with having the dog. Miss <laughs> Northcutt, good to see you, my friend. Um, so when I began to walk Cupcake on the leash, I finally decided I'm not going to let this dog go out here and use the bathroom on a leash anymore. I'm going to take the leash off. The girls got scared. They say, Daddy, if you take the leash off, she's going to run away. I say, no. I say, I have to train her to go do her job and come back to me. See, what the law did, the law had you on a leash. Paul said that the law was our schoolmaster or our tutor or our guardian to lead us to Christ. But after the faith has come, which is Jesus, we are no longer under a leash. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. See, Jesus has released you from the leash you go out and you do your job by being salt and light by being a witness by telling men and women about the grace of God and then when the Lord calls you you come running back I say come here cupcake cupcake come running and that's what you got to do you got to do your job and then when God when God calls for you you need to come running because you have the freedom to do what he's called you to do. Somebody ought to give him a praise in this house. There are innumerable unbiblical practices implemented in the Lord's church with very few biblical practices implemented through proper teaching. And as a result, that's why many of our churches are more religious than they are spiritual. But then he goes on to say, but it is a good thing. Kalos in Greek, which means excellent and honorable, affecting the mind agreeably, better, comforting and confirming. It is a good thing that the heart, the heart represents the whole of the inner life and can only be sustained by the grace of God. He said it is a good thing that the heart be established. God wants your heart to be established. We've been hearing this message for 12 years. God wants our hearts to be established. He doesn't want your heart to be divided between grace and the law because loving too is hard to do. Babylon in Greek, that's what the word established means. It means to make firm, make sure, make stable, and make secure. You need to be sure about the grace of God in your life. You need to make firm the grace of God in your life. You need to make stable the grace of God in your life. And you need to make secure the grace of God in your life. And, and God will begin to work actively in your life. And when law-based believers try to attempt to prosecute you with the law, you are being defended by the grace of God. And I'm here to tell you today, grace is your public defender. You know how somebody commit a crime and you got some lawyers don't want to touch it, touch it or touch them. 
and the court will appoint them a public defender. So the public offender is obligated by that local municipality to take on any case that comes across his desk because he's appointed by the court. See, grace is your public offender because the grace is Jesus and he has been appointed by the court who is the throne of grace. Now, I posted this a few days ago. Some of you may have read it. The pulpit is not a judge's bench or a prosecuting attorney's table in a courtroom, but rather it is the defense attorney's table to defend the believer with grace against the prosecution, judge, and jury of law-based religion. So the heart is to be established with grace, not with meats. The meats refer to all type of religious ceremonies. Are y'all getting anything? I'm almost, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. See, many of us that came out of traditional church, our hearts were established with these religious ceremonies. Until we unburden our hearts and establish them with God's grace. See, and I'm hearing this in the Holy Ghost. See, some of you have not established your heart in this teaching because you have an unburdened your heart with the teaching you once received. Let me say it like this. Some of you cannot establish your heart with right teaching because you have an unburdened your heart with wrong teaching. Because they cannot coexist. You have to dispose of one in order to bring in another. True spiritual life exists only in the realm of grace. You know, engaged in ritualistic ceremony, it indicates that it has not profited them who have been occupied therein. It hasn't been useful, beneficial, advantageous to one's spiritual life. Think about how we gave these ceremonies our full attention and allegiance when those things only wore us down and wore us out. Religion distracts but grace attracts. Let me say that again. Religion distracts, but grace attracts. And we need to know that grace has bankrupted the law. In Romans 6 and 21, Paul asked the question, he said, what fruit you had in those things that you basically gave yourself completely to that you are now ashamed of? Because those things led to death. I want to read a few passages out, out of Hebrews before we pray. Hebrews 7 and 19 says, for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did by which we draw near to God. Hebrews 8 and 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. <laughs> Some of these are self-explanatory. Hebrews 10, 10. By the which... Will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14. My voice is leaving. I guess I haven't screamed at anybody in quite a while. Um, <laughs> for by one offering he has perfected forever them who are sanctified. 
And then Hebrews 2 and 9, it says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Listen, that he by the grace of God, that's the only reason why he went to the cross, to taste death for how many men? So let me tell you what grace has done. It has perfected us. See, we don't need to be perfect. It's our job to live out of the perfection that we have already received. We are to evolve in that that we have already received. Grace has sanctified us. Grace has drawn us closer to God. And grace has given us according to Hebrews 8 and 6, a better covenant based upon better promises. And I've said this for years, that the law is like an expired coupon. It has no present value. What's the day? June the 5th? You can't go to CVS and use a coupon from June the 4th. It's no longer valid. But grace has no expiration date. Therefore, we need to establish our hearts with grace. I'm going to tell you this last story. Some of you may have um, read a post I put on Facebook yesterday. If you haven't, just, just listen. Um, yesterday morning, I went to a restaurant. I won't call the restaurant's name, but I went through the drive-thru to order breakfast, and I paid, and they told me, they said, well, go around to the front of the building where the double doors are. We'll bring it out to you, and they did. And I was driving away from the restaurant. But I remember something Tan used to tell me all the time, especially when she would go through the drive-thru. She said, uh-uh, don't drive away. Check the bag first. Because the order could be wrong. Sure enough, I got down the road. My order was wrong. I went back to the restaurant, went inside, and I kindly... I didn't show up because I knew I had to preach today. <laughs> I kindly shared the error with the drive-thru clerk. And then I pointed out what I actually ordered that was on the menu. So evidently the clerk wasn't as familiar with the menu as I was. And so it is spiritually. When you listen to someone preach and teach a message before you leave the church, check your Bible before you leave because the message could be wrong. You may know the word better than the one who's trying to deliver it to you. And you may have to point that out. Let me tell you something. Don't you take my order if you're not well versed with the menu. Don't try to preach to me if you don't know the word. Listen, but here's the good thing. When the order is right, you can eat it. See, over here at Grace Point, the order is right. But if the order is wrong, take it back. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. Some ministers will feed you anything just because you pull up to their window. <laughs> just like you pulled up to the window, you can pull away from the window. You know, I just didn't take 
their word for it that what I ordered was in the bag. That's why I heard my late wife's voice say, check the bag. <laughs> See, folk can tell you one thing up here when your bag or your Bible can show you something else. Y'all will get that one tomorrow too. See, when I got down the road and I heard my late wife's voice, I had to have the courage to go back to the establishment and tell them it wasn't correct because I didn't want to eat what I didn't order. You know why I didn't want to eat it? Because I paid the price for something else. Jesus paid the price for you to have grace. And he don't want you going around eating long sandwiches. And drinking long cola and opening up a bag of long potato chips. Okay, let me quit this lunchtime. See, don't be like some people and they accept it and eat it anyway. Say, well, I done got down the road. The devil is a lie. If I got bacon with my eggs and you done put sausage in there, I'm going back to the restaurant and you gonna give me my bacon because I paid for my bacon. Tell somebody and tell them I'm not eating it because that's not what I ordered. Tell them that. <laughs> I see my girls, they're like, okay, daddy, that's enough. <laughs> you may ask, what is the order? The order is whatever the Holy Spirit recommends for you to have that day. Now, I do notice something. Now, I don't go to drive throughs that often. But you know how sometimes you go th through a drive through and before they take your order, they're suggesting something? Would you like the number one? No. I don't need you to tell me what I want to order. I mean, I know y'all got to follow script and all of that. I understand that. But let's reverse it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is recommending something for you. But you choose to order something else. So it would behoove you To follow the Holy Spirit's recommendation. God is calling us to defend this grace message with our very lives. Because law-based people are going to get very aggressive. I'm not asking you to defend the word of God. I'm not asking you to defend this church. I'm not asking you to defend Apostle Dale. But what I am asking you to do is to defend your personal testimony as it relates to how the grace of God has transformed your life. Stand with me. Give God a praise while you're standing. This is my first time seeing the, the graphic. You know, that's figurative. That's figurative, where that heart is in the center of that word. It's figurative, but it should be literal in your life. Your heart 
has to be established and rooted in this grace. Grace is the means of transport by which we receive the free gift of salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves it is the gift of God. All you have to do is receive the gift where, wherever um, you're standing. Salvation, contrary to pop, to, to contrary to popular belief, salvation is not yours for the asking, is yours for the receiving. Because it's a gift. You don't have to ask for something that somebody's already gave you. The word receive means to take in your possession by a deliberate and ready reception of what has been offered. So your ability to receive the gift is what secures the gift as it relates to your salvation. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your word has accomplished this intended purpose in the lives of those present, in the lives of those who are viewing via Facebook, and those who will go back and listen to this message at a later time. May our hearts be rooted and established in this grace that you have already provided, we'll take a, a firm stand in defending our testimony against those, Lord, who will perpetrate the law for the purpose of bringing us back into bondage. You told us to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and we are not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We bless you for what your spirit has, is, and will continue to accomplish in the lives of every person this day. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, come on, give them a praise. I'm done. May the Lord bless you.